welcome to the Wild Honey Collective, a podcast for cultural worker bees, where we are exploring the wild but sweet terrain of self and society through the lens of ecology. I'm your host, Amelia Rain Morrison, and I just must begin today by letting y'all know some exciting personal news related to this podcast, that I am very honored to soon be partnering with the wild honeybees themselves in the coming months to pollinate together, make honey, and show the world what we are about through the practice of beekeeping in collaboration with my friends and co-workers at Willow Run Farm in Harrisonburg, Virginia. So if you've seen the state of the world these days, you know that we love to and need to see ideas and nourishment being pollinated, being modeled by the small but mighty pollinators themselves. Hive collapse, chemicals in agriculture, the devastating effects on our pollinators as well as our bodies and our society are reminders that we are all connected. And as Adrian Marie Brown says, the small is a reflection of the large. So pay attention because the pollinators will tell you everything that you need to know. Speaking of pollinating nourishment and pollinating ideas, today I had the honor and pleasure, like full on pleasure activism pleasure, of sitting down with teacher, performing artist, and bridge builder Taliba Atia Naji Akil, founder of We Are Magic, where she leads healing tours to Ghana for people of the African diaspora to return to the place of their ancestral lineage and connect to their birthright, to belong, to be welcomed, and to tell their own stories of past, present, and future selves. Talipa graduated from Howard University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Musical Theater and earned her Master's in Conflict Transformation at the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding at Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, just like your girl. She crafts and tends spaces for trauma healing with a racial justice lens on the level of self, community, and culture using restorative justice circle processes, poetry, music, dance, history, and lived experience. Taliba is also a lecturer at the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, where she created a course entitled Reimagining Identity that examines the intersections of identity, storytelling, dignity, and the arts. In this course, she creates safe spaces for student teachers to explore the complexities of identity as it relates to oneself and others. You know what, y'all? We're just gonna get into it because Ms. Taliba Akil can only be adequately introduced by speaking for herself. Enjoy. Hello, Taliba. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. It's an honor to have you. Can I start by asking you to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Taliba Atia Naji Akil. I am hailing from Harlem, New York. Ow, ow. <laughs> 
I currently am a lecturer at the Center for Justice and Peace Building at Eastern Mennonite University. And I lead healing tours to Ghana for those of us who are from the African diaspora who are descendants of slavery. Amazing. It's, again, such a privilege to have you with us. I have been thinking lately as we've started this season on the podcast about healing work, Mm. about what this work, this heavy lifting of healing is really about, and sitting with the idea that healing work is a decolonial practice. Mm. Healing work that lacks a decolonial lens is not about being free, it's about being symptom-free. Do you resonate with this? And if so, how do you understand healing? How do you understand it for yourself and for us as a culture? Mm, I resonate deeply um, with that idea. Um, And I would say growing up in Harlem, New York, um, I was really blessed to be in black spaces where blackness was celebrated. Um, I went to Howard University, which is an HBCU, historically black college university. And I was surrounded by black excellence, black beauty. I mean, it felt like Wakanda (laughs) every day. Um, And so I I named that because I feel like the foundations of my identity came from a place of celebrating and honoring blackness, even even though our culture as a whole didn't necessarily share those values of honoring and celebrating the beauty of blackness, right? And so then as I came to Harrisonburg, Virginia, which I love dearly, howsomever, different experience, predominantly white, right? I feel like I became aware um, in a different way of the things and the narratives around blackness that was oppressive, that didn't celebrate and didn't honor our beauty. And it was a cultural shock for me. And it forced me, um, it forced me to do work, right? And, I, and I'm in a peace building field and I think there's a lot of conversation around decolonizing peace building, but it forced me to do work to decolonize the ideas and narratives that I had of myself and my people. And I don't know if that makes sense, but like, I feel like being an African-American, Black American in America, right, we're taught things. Our history begins with slavery. And that in itself (laughs) is oppressive. And that in itself needs to be decolonized because my history does not begin with slavery. My history begins with kings and queens and magical beings. And I feel like a part of my work in the deep healing that I did in the journey that I that took me to Ghana was learning about my history, my people, my identity pre-slavery, right? That is getting to, that is, that is getting rid of the symptom, right? It's not just <laughs> this, it, it's getting to the root of it. It is, it is decolonizing my thoughts and the perceptions and the narratives that were taught to me about me and my people. Mm-hmm. Did that answer your question? Oh, heck yes. Okay, okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And so going off of that, 
I would love if you could describe the work that you did around retelling the story of origin for yourself mm-hmm. through your trip to Ghana, mm-hmm. your journey there, and just describing Ghana Remember Me. Mm-hmm. So it started, I did Ancestry.com. I was in Rwanda, um, in East Africa for two years, and I was constantly asked on a daily basis, um, where are your people from? And I think being African-American, I think that's a question that plagues us a lot because there's no answer to that. Um, And so when I came back from Rwanda, I decided to do Ancestry.com, which was beautiful and traumatic (laughs) at the same time. Um, But I discovered that most of my lineage and my ancestry came from Ghana, West Africa. Again, um, those of us who identify as being African-Americans, right, there's because of how slavery worked, there's so many different countries a part of of our DNA. But Ghana had my highest um, percentage of African DNA. And I remember I was in class and I had a white male professor learning about something from the African continent. And I was like, this has to be harmful to the identity formation of not just me, but my people. Like, I want to learn about my identity from the source. Um, And so I said, for my practicum presentation for my master's program, I'm going to go to Ghana. And I had to come up with this like scholarly (laughs) project um, where I'm like, I'm doing an arts-based independent research project, but really at the core, I needed to get away and I needed healing. Like that was the basis of it. And so basically for Ghana Remember Me, I decided to go to Ghana and interview diasporans, um, those of us who were brought from from Africa to this Western um, society. And I'm I'm mindful not just to say African-Americans because that is not inclusive of those of us who were brought from the continent and taken to other parts. So Jamaica and Honduras and Nicaragua. And so I say diasporans. When I say that, I just want to be clear that's naming all of us who were taken to different parts of the world. Um, And so I decided to go to Ghana and I interviewed diasporans who moved back to Ghana and how that experience of reconnecting um, to the source of identity, how that shaped how they saw themselves. And I stayed in Ghana for three months and it was the most powerful experience of my life. And literally, just from touching the soil, I felt something shift in myself. And I really, when I look back, it really, I believe it was my ancestors feeling a certain way that I brought them back home. Like, I believe that from the depths of my heart. And so anyway, I came back and I said, how am I going to take this experience? I don't want to write a paper. (laughs) I don't want to write a scholarly report. How do I share my experience and the stories that I was privileged to hold from those who I interviewed, how do I make this into something that is felt? Mm -hmm. And so 
took the words of those people um, that I was privileged to interview. I interviewed 12 people and began to write poetry. And then I began, I had a lot stored in my body. And so I would go to a classroom and put on music and just move and allow my body to tell the stories. I was very intentional to speak to my ancestors in this in this experience and process of figuring out how I would share this within Ghana, remember me, and I remember, I would say, use me to tell your stories. And honestly, I had an idea of what I wanted this presentation to be, but it literally unfolded right before my eyes as I was presenting um, my journey and experience of returning back home. Um, and that's Ghana, remember me. That. That name came from a poem that I was privileged to hear from a woman who, who um, I interviewed, interviewed in Ghana, and the name of her poem was Ghana Remember Me. Mm. Um, yeah, and maybe I can share that with you, too. That would be beautiful. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'm so glad you mentioned that mm -hmm. piece of this whole, <clears throat> this whole coming together of this narrative, because... Um, yeah, listening to the way that that title speaks to the profundity of the going back mm -hmm. experience. It's not, I remember Ghana, even though you're the one, I'm the one in this going back. But it's this pull yes. from the motherland yes. herself. Yes. Right? Yes. And it kind of reminds me of, because I've read other interviews that you've done about this project through CJP, the Center for Justice and Peace Building, and you mentioned Yagyasi's Homegoing, yes. which is a book that tells a historical but fictional narrative about a family that is separated into two in Ghana, and one side of the family is taken by force and enslaved to the United States and one remains in Ghana and actually gets involved in the trade of human beings and it's all it's all um this story of like going being taken but then eventually coming back and coming full circle back together mm -hmm. goosebumps yes, talking yes, about yes. <laughs> but home going mm -hmm. not homecoming yes and so I wonder if you could speak to like this whole um, experience being a part of the year of return, mm -hmm. which was for those who don't know, um, the 400 year anniversary of the first African person being documented, taken from Ghana yes, to, to Virginia, Virginia. <laughs> which is where we are. And so Ooh. just what it was like for you to like do this work at that time in history and in the world where so many diasporans were looking back and saying, I'm going back. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, yeah, like being a part mm -hmm. of that in Ghana. Mm -hmm. You know... <clears throat> I'm actually getting kind of emotional thinking about it and remembering because the truth of the matter is when we talk about divine timing, right, and when things are purposed, I had no idea 
I was going to Ghana for the year of return. I had no idea. And what Ghana did, um, there was a year of events dedicated for those of us who were returning back to Ghana. And so there were guest speakers, there were concerts, there was um, historical tours. And so there was literally a group of people who came together who curated a time of healing for diasporans to return home. So that's a little bit of deeper content, Thank you. context for what the year of return was. And so I had no idea. I literally landed in Ghana December 18th of the year 2018 and I landed I want to say maybe three days before the whole year of return festivities began right talk about divine <laughs> timing so you can already imagine and I think it's important to name this too right I think for those of us who are descendants of slavery who wish to return back to Africa Africa's huge. I think as a culture, we we make Africa this monolithic um, place. And it's important to name there's so many different countries, so many different cultures, so many different experiences. And not every country on the continent of Africa experienced slavery. So I've been to countries who have no idea about even the concept of what slavery was, right? Mm. And so there is this thing that those of us who are born <clears throat> um, in the Americas, right, that we have this thing of, I'm going to Africa to reconnect. And that is not always the experience. The land, the country, the community has to be ready to hold you, right? There mm. has to be people already in those places ready to hold you. I've gone to places and not experienced that homegoing, right? But Ghana was so magical because it was at a place in my life, in a time in my life, when I needed that healing. I needed to hear welcome home. I needed to hear you are returning and this is where you come from and you are welcomed. I needed that so deeply being a black woman in America during that time. And so the fact that Ghana did so much work in preparation to welcome us back home was just magical. And so I knew there was no way I can put this in writing. Mm -hmm. And the truth of the matter is Everyone needs that healing around identity. It's not just for those of us who are descendants for slavery. It's for everyone. Everyone needs that deep healing. And so going during the year of return, was it was my ancestors. And I say that I feel like sometimes it's hard to name that. Like not everyone understands the concept of ancestors and like being connected. And But I will say from Ghana, I really, really, really gained this beautiful connection with my ancestors and I knew that everything was already pre-designed for me to just come to rest to learn to experience to grow to experience all of this black woman magic and literally when I came back to America I came back a different woman I was prepared I was ready I knew who I was on a deeper level mm. um and I had this confidence about myself that I know I would have never experienced had I not journeyed to Ghana.
So, hmm, yeah, I'm thinking about this idea of healing work being mm-hmm. being a part of a larger story mm-hmm. about all of the harm that has been baked into our ancestral lineages and our mm-hmm. lived experience. And, yeah, just like the the role that your ancestral connection plays in this work that became so healing for you, how does it show up now and how do you aim to share it with people? Yeah. <clears throat> I think what was so transformative and powerful about me journeying back home um, to Ghana was that I saw that there were so many people already doing this work, right? Like, I literally entered into an atmosphere where so many people were talking about the importance of those of us who are descendants of slavery to journey back specifically to Ghana, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to say I came back to America with a deeper sense of purpose that it is my responsibility, it is my calling um, to continue to add to the melting pot, to add to the gumbo pot (laughs) of... um, um, of people who are doing this work of bringing us back home. And so I would say even current day, and I feel like what even brings me to Harrisonburg? Cause so many people are like, why Harrisonburg, right? I'm born in New York. <laughs> and um, yeah, why Harrisonburg? Why do I consider Harrisonburg home? And I just feel like it's important to name this, that my ancestors were brought from West Africa to Virginia. So Virginia is a place where my ancestors um, worked the soil and specifically Harrisonburg. I know that because Ancestry.com shared that Harrisonburg was a place and location where my ancestors were brought and enslaved on this very land. And so I really consider myself a bridge. Hmm. I consider myself a bridge, and even now, I think I consider myself, um, there's um, a butterfly, and I'm trying to think of the names of the butterfly. Is it the monarch butterfly? Mm-hmm. And I've learned a little bit about the monarch butterfly in, um, in, in recent weeks, where there's this, there's this <clears throat> um, it's within the DNA of the monarch butterfly. Um, and I think it's like third generation. It's a generation after where the monarch butterfly knows how to return back home. Mm-hmm. They've never been home. They've never saw what home was. But this generation of butterflies know how to return back home. Mm-hmm. And so I think of the symbol of the bridge and that butterfly that is within our DNA and it's within my calling to be that bridge to bring us back home. And so that looks like I create tours, healing tours called um, We Are Magic. And it's still a work in progress. All of 2020 or 2021, I moved to Ghana for a year where I led tours for those of us who are descendants of slavery to go back to Ghana. Um, And so the work continues. The goal now, as we talk about reparations, which is our birthright, (laughs) 
I'm very big on the conversation of reparations, which I'm hoping um, more spaces will be created of that um, with that conversation um, in mind. But I think it is our birthright to travel back to the continent, specifically Ghana, because again, Ghana has done the work um, to to welcome us back. Um, but I think. It is my goal to lead these tours for us, specifically also for youth, for younger kids. It starts young, right? And to do it where they don't have to pay anything. I want this to be a free of charge experience where you just have to come, right? Mm -hmm. It is your birthright. It is your, it is your birth. It is in the deep healing because the healing can happen here, but there's something about that land. And yeah. so my work is to bring us back to that land. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that is something that the Jewish community does yes, for their is. diaspora. Yes, it is. And so, like, <clears throat> that's already re recognized as something, I, I think it's free of charge, It is. It? it is. Once they turn a certain age, I believe, that they are, they make that voyage back, yeah. So that's something that the United States of America absolutely owes black people. I agree. You talk, you stole us. Bring us back. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think that is a part of the work. I think a lot of times in America, we and and when we think about racial healing and we think about um, um, yeah, racism and 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 in some ways to like to speak to and heal. Right. I think a lot of times the the initial goal is to bring everybody together. And I think a part of the healing we have to do individually. I think white people need their spaces for healing, and I think black people need our spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and I think journeying back to the back to the continent again, specifically Ghana, is is the deep work that needs to happen before those conversations happen of whites and blacks or other different identities coming together. Yeah. It's so, Foundation. so powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just the way that you speak about it with your whole body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a privilege to, to have you talking about this. Can you tell us some of the things that give you the most life about you being in Ghana? Ooh, uh, <laughs> where do I start? <laughs> oh, man. I think I remember... I remember hearing conversations that, like, we need to stop romanticizing the continent. And I think that might be true for white people, but not for those of us who are from there, who never connected to it. So, again, an example of that is, like, when you think of the continent of Africa, a lot of times you hear the narratives of this beautiful sun, right, and all of the animals. And so there's, like, this narrative where we kind of, like, glorify it and a lot of times there's this conversation of like stop romanticizing but for me when I think of the power of dreaming and radical imagination when I think of those concepts <clears throat> I feel like what excites me is when I when I romanticize every part of the continent so when I'm in Ghana and I see the beautiful queens carrying the baskets on their head and why I get so emotional is because the biggest thing I took from that experience was we are magic. We are so beautiful. And so just when I see my sister making shea butter, 
When I see the kids on the street dancing and killing it to the Afro beats, <laughs> just because, right? When I go to the beach and I see the power of those waves, like every little thing, I feel like what's so beautiful is I, I've never felt more present in my life. It is, it is a present, yeah, I'm able to really be in the moment and I'm not just... Every day, I feel like in America, I have this pattern, especially being a New Yorker. It's just like you go through the day, and sometimes I'm not even present. I'm not even aware of my neighbor. But in Ghana, that hello, that good morning starts my day. Mm. And I'm able to see that sun and feel the sun and thank God and my ancestors for that sun. And I just, when I think of Ghana, I think of that. I think of how mindful I am. I think of how I'm watching that and how that's already in my DNA. I'm not experiencing something outside of my body, but I'm relearning something mm. that is a part of me. That's that's healing. That's decolonizing. Mm-hmm. That's the work. Because our body wants to remember. Our body longs for that remembering mm. that I can never get in America. Because someone who has not shared the identity or the stories or the struggles or the power of my people, for so long we've been taught who we are from people who don't look like us. Mm -hmm. And so the cure, the deep cure to that healing is going to the source. Amen. Yeah. And that that is like the body of the motherland remembering for us too Mm -hmm. for you for that which you didn't even know was lacking Mm -hmm. or you did know yeah but to turn that around also as the society that has emerged from colonization Mm -hmm. of this land that is now the united states we haven't had that connection to source Mm -hmm to the deep groundedness of having a place that embraces you and helped build you out of kinship Mm -hmm. and shared relationship and reciprocity because we had to fight for the control that we seized Mm -hmm. over this place. And I see so much of what you're saying reflected back in the negative expression Mm -hmm. from how our society is never present and our way of being in the earth here is one of wanting to forget and separate the past and wanting to maintain a sense of domination Mm -hmm. over that which we've seized control over and just how sick that makes all of us Mm -hmm. and how much white bodies need to break out of that pattern in Mm -hmm. a in a way that stops hurting other people of color yes and and themselves and themselves and that's the only way that the pattern is going to break you articulate all of this in such a skilled way as a teacher and also just from a deep place of rootedness and knowing 
And I'm curious how your training in trauma awareness and resilience Mm -hmm. has informed all of this that you've been able to articulate and understand. I feel like, thank you for that question. I feel like I've always been trauma-informed and trauma-aware. And I think a lot of times growing up, I was labeled as sensitive and overly sensitive. And I had these narratives placed on me that kind of felt like an insult rather than a compliment, right? Mm. And so during my time at the Center for Justice and Peace Building, it was so transformative because I realized that there was a place for me in the world. Um, And I developed my, I got my voice and I developed language around the importance of being trauma informed. Um, I was privileged and able to take classes from Katie Mansfield around incorporating the body into this work um, around trauma. I took STAR um, strategies for trauma um, awareness and resilience. And I think even that course um, that was offered at um, the Summer Peace Building Institute around trauma and being in in space with people who came from all parts of the world sharing their stories and how they experienced trauma um, I think really also played a part in um, my work around trauma um, <clears throat> and so I, I, I say all of this to say that my time at the Center for Justice and Peace Building was really transformative and really kind of Um, solidified that there not just is a place for me in the world but this work is important I think more people need to do work around being trauma informed and I think I was introduced to the concept of historical trauma and that changed my life Mm. once I realized that historical trauma is not just something that is from the past but is very active um, and that specifically people of color are still actively walking in the same trauma that ancestors experienced, that this is not something from the past, but this is something present day. I think that like pulled the wool from my eyes too. And it was like, oh, of course I'm having this response, right? Um, of course I would have this physical and sickness in my body from visually seeing black and brown bodies abused and murdered and killed. Of course, there was language for this, right? And and at the time, it's like as black people, you might not have the language, but you know you're having a response to it. But once I got the language, um, I said, oh, this is my work. My work is bringing awareness to that language, right? Not just for white people, but for black people too, to feel seen, to feel heard, to feel acknowledged. Um, And then how do we, yeah, what's the work to speak to that trauma? I hope I answered your question because I feel like I said a lot. You answered Um, it for sure. Yeah, it was the awareness and um, the courage to speak up and speak out to things um, in spaces where there's a lot of people who mean to do well but still cause harm. Yeah. And that goes back to that pattern that just keeps playing itself out until 
those who have perpetuated harm do their own healing. That's it. That's it. I think a lot of times we talk about decolonizing our work, but it's like, how do you continuously decolonize your own mind? Mm-hmm. That work is, is a daily practice. Like, we all have undoing to do. Absolutely. And so we were in a session before this mm-hmm. with the Summer Peace Building Institute, and someone said, which has been said many times before, but we can always hear it again, is that whether we know it or choose it or not, white people benefit yes. from the system of white supremacy. Yes. And it sets it sets white people up to get the jobs, to be valued, to be seen as those who have agency and to mm-hmm. be seen as those who have wisdom, mm-hmm. who have something to offer, who are safe to be around, whatever it may be, who are beautiful. Yes. I mean, it just... So, yes just trying to get away from this self-protective mechanism of it wasn't me Mm -hmm. who caused this problem Mm -hmm. and I'm good Mm -hmm. I feel like something that the Center for Justice and Peace Building has also helped me work with Mm -hmm. is this throwing out the binary between like what is good and what is bad Mm. and getting away from this tendency to like indict others that is just a reflection of how we indict ourselves Mm. when all that does is shut down the repair yeah so yeah Yeah. it also reminds me I'm always like, if I'm still do like still healing from <laughs> the legacy and the very present day like ramifications of of slavery and colonialism, if I still have to do that work, you are not dismissed from <laughs> doing that work as well. Because just like I have work to do, so do you. You are still benefiting from that same legacy that I'm healing from. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think when I think about the broader conversation around the work that we need to do collectively Mm -hmm. to heal, I'm thinking about what you said, which is like creating spaces where we can be around people that make us feel safe and that we don't feel encumbered by those very present social oppressions Mm -hmm. while trying to do that heavy lifting of being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and examining ourselves and our getting into our bodies Mm -hmm. but also I'm thinking about the ways that these these reproductions of the injustices Mm -hmm. around racial identity continue in ways that are more difficult to recognize as time goes on and as Mm -hmm. systems in society become more modern and so I think it's like the ways that getting out of that context Mm -hmm. by for you for your experience going back to Ghana and for someone else it might be by reclaiming a relationship to their own ancestral history or just to like the natural world around them or to their bodies that is another way that healing happens. Yes. Because 
it's hard to get away from the sickness that is bred into our Culture. social structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things have been normalized. And so when we talk about decolonizes and decolonizing things, it's how do I examine the things that I have normalized or that I've been taught? How do I examine and question unapologetically, right? Because it's not easy to talk about it, but like how do I do the work to really put intentionality into all of the things I've been taught about myself, about others? Like that is the work and that is a daily practice. And I think a lot of times, and I'm guilty of this too, I'm like, I am one of the good people right like <clears throat> I would never do that I am one of the good people but the truth is <laughs> when we think about like colonization that that was so normalized that it is ingrained in our culture and our way of being and existing and so it is a daily practice to decolonize our thoughts even the thoughts I have about myself right yes just a daily practice and you name some of the ways of undoing that mine was going to ghana for some people it is connecting to ancestors connecting to the land um we've talked about this before but like the power of um ritual mm -hmm. Ooh. give me some ritual that is a key the power of rituals i mean <clears throat> i love the i'm a fire sign <laughs> and so the fire does something to me and so a ritual for me sometimes is just sitting sitting um, amongst a fire, singing songs. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes songs come up for me that I didn't even know I remember, just like things that I was, you know what I'm saying? That's within me that, you know, rituals have a way of bringing things out and connecting to source. Um, and I think we also need to decolonizing the decolonize the thought of like rituals i think rituals sometimes has this like narrative that it is negative it is the opposite of christianity it it's is like culty it's culty it's witchy and guess yeah. what i will be a witch <laughs> they tried to burn us they tried to burn us and like um and this is coming from someone who grew up as a black mennonite okay um but i had to decolonize my christianity in the thoughts that everything African, all of our traditional practices were negative. Yeah. And so a lot of, in Ghana, I had to do work of like decolonizing that thought and talking to the plants, mm -hmm. praying to the plants, you know, like, and so that is ritual. <laughs> um, preparing a meal. Preparing a meal, radical hospitality, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, and so I think that is, when we talk about ways of reconnecting, I think ritual is a big source as well, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and a lot of times I feel like rituals are really powerful when you're amongst others. Yeah. You know? I love that others. you brought that up. Yeah, community. Yeah. Community is important. And we've we've had that stripped away from mm -hmm. us. Because... I don't hear this said enough, but the COVID-19 pandemic could have been avoided. Mm, talk about it. If the president of the United States mm -hmm. and other world leaders had been willing to cooperate with the spread when it broke out in China, then we might have been looking at a situation wow. 
of an epidemic maybe I mean we've we've survived that before like do you remember the Ebola virus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you think about how that changed your life very often like it was a big deal but our global leaders Mm -hmm. were unwilling to compromise their own power Mm -hmm. their preferences about how the economy runs their profit margins which again for companies like amazon and whole foods owned by amazon and you know zoom and google benefited from mm -hmm. weapons manufacturers oil and gas companies they have all their profit margins have skyrocketed into the trillions during the course of time that this has all happened and so just recognizing that we are always being shaped by the forces of colonization that continue that have stripped so much away from us yes and resistance and healing have to go hand in hand because we can't allow ourselves to keep being extracted from. And I love what Alexis Pauline Gum says that we can never be cre- we can never allow ourselves to be individuals mm-hmm. because the individual is an invention of capitalism. Ooh. The individual is the antithesis of the village. Ooh. And we all come from a village somewhere down our lines. And if we're an individual, all that means is that we're more easily extracted from. It's an invention of a more extractable unit. Yes. Because we look around us and we say, how do I fight this big system? And so resistance and healing need to be one. Yes. And healing in itself is this pursuit and fight and work for wholeness. Yes. And bringing back full circle Mm -hmm. what has been divided. Yes. Ashe. Ashe. Woo. Like even having a word to punctuate so many profound experiences is something that has been taken away Mm -hmm. from people who don't have a religion. Cornelius always calls it like being a cultural orphan. Mm, That's it. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said earlier, everyone needs healing around identity, right? And like... Yeah, I think a lot of the work too, like what does it look like? What is your Ghana? (laughs) Ireland. (laughs) What is your Ghana? And what does it look like to do that work of connecting to to Ireland, right? Like we all need that. I think that in some way will, um, why I love Harrisonburg and I'm mindful of time, but why I think, I I love me some Harrisonburg. And not everyone understands that. Harrisonburg is beautiful. But I think this land feels really sacred and it feels like it is alive, all land is, but this land feels like it's ready for the healing to happen. And I feel like that is something that is ancestral. I think it is the First Nations people who um, lived on this land, um, 
who sadly were murdered on this land. I think it is my ancestors who worked this land and who were murdered and, and died on this land. But I think there's like a corporate calling that my New York just came out. There's a corporate calling <laughs> in Harrisonburg where this land is like ready for the healing. Like it is calling for the healing work to happen. Um, and why I just brought that up is I think, um, oh, I forgot. I lost my train of thought of why that is important. But I want to say I feel like this land is calling everybody to do that healing work. And that's why I said affinity spaces is a really big foundational piece. Like, I can come together with you and have beautiful healing conversation and dialogue, yes. And there is work I have to do amongst my people so I can even be ready to have this conversation with you. There is work that you have to do with your people, right? We all have work to do, I think, first. Mm -hmm. And I think that piece is missing a lot. You know, like I'm ready to do the healing work and I'm ready to walk in purpose in America because I went back, because I connected to my source, because I have an idea of who, where and who I come from, um, which I think is a founda foundational piece for everybody. Yeah. And so I leave that question, what is your Ghana? Mm. America, sadly, has been built on on identities who've been that's been stripped whether it's been intentional um you know what i'm saying like that is this country and so we've created this narrative around who we are and it's not real it's not real and i think if everyone traveled back to their ghana i think something will be broke mm -hmm. something will be to Ghana that are for people of the African diaspora yes. and she is getting together resources to share with people who are interested in that in the coming months she's also embarking on a new chapter of life in New York City for the summer working with Duke University and I'll be working with um, some of their students doing some social justice work in the city so so excited for you for that Thank Harrisonburg you. will miss you yes but you'll be back in the fall yes and also I would love um to stay connected with everyone as well so if you have any questions about the healing tours that I lead in Ghana um, or just if anything came up for you during like your reflective time or listening to this podcast, I would love to hear thoughts and reflections. And so um, <clears throat> I'll leave my email so we can stay connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. We'll put it in the notes of the show. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for this uh, generous offering. Yeah, thank you as well. It's a gift. Ghana, you remember me. Ghana, you know me. I'm here. 
Ghana. And then I go up to a Ghanaian and I say, your grandmother's 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 great-grandmother and my grandmother's 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 great-grandmother were sisters. That morning when your grandmother's ancestor woke up and her sweet sister was gone, she mourned, she mourned till she died. Ghana, you know me. You know me. Look, this is my son Kwame. He looks just like your son Kwame. You know me. Okay, let's cook. I'll make my gumbo and you'll see it tastes just like your okra soup. Ghana, you know me. You remember. We'll go dancing. You'll see our bodies move the same way. Our bodies look the same in those clothes. You'll see. Ghana, you know me. When I braid my daughter Renika's hair, you'll see. It looks just like when you braid Okosa's hair. You remember me. You remember me, Ghana. Tonight, when you go to sleep, you can talk to your ancestor. Talk to that ancestor and tell her her sister's baby is back. I look around here and I say, wow, looks like they did a job on us over here. I said, but where they took us, they did a really a really big job on us over there too. But it's okay, because we're back together now. Ghana, you remember me. Ghana, you know me. You know me. I know you know me, because I never stopped remembering you. within our DNA that we've carried yeah. with us. And just those of us that come back here, it's almost you can you can picture a plantation in Mississippi where they sold your baby right from under you and like ripped them out of your arms and gave them to somebody else. And that pain of never saying one day, one, one day, this is going to be rectified. One day. And then us reaching here and almost like that, that mother or that father that, that felt that agony says, uh-huh, uh-huh. I knew you'd make it back. Vindicate us. Even if it's just you going to be your best self away from this horror.